We are going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Uh, there will be two sermons on this section as we uh, kind of talk about uh, mission as a part of uh, our uh, living a gospel life. All right. They're out of here. Let's go. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this was written for our instruction, that we might endure and through the encouragement of the Scriptures have hope. As the God of endurance and encouragement, grant that we would see Jesus, the one in whom we hope, through the Scriptures this morning, that the Spirit would enable us to trust in Him as He has presented to us in the Scriptures. Amen. It's kind of weird, I think, when you look at this text and you, because you recognize that the little... Uh, Chapter headings and things like that are not in the Bible, okay? They're what we have added in our translations to understand what's going on there. So it's uh, not in the scriptures that it says further instruction. And that just sort of seems like this is something that's kind of added on. Like it's just sort of tossed in there like Paul's like, oh, well, what should I say next? Oh, yeah, I'll tell him to pray, okay? I think this is thoughtful on Paul's part. Because as we look at the structure of the book... It really reflects, I think, the structure of uh, how the gospel works, at least how I understand that it works. Because he talks about how Christ has worked for us, the objective reality of the person and of the work of Jesus Christ. He's talked about how Jesus is supreme over all things as the firstborn of creation, as the one in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. All of these things, he focused first on the objective reality of of who Christ is, and then also what he has done with his death upon the cross as an atonement for our sins. And then that second section where he talks about Christ's work in us, where he's talked about how we, because we are now in Christ, now that we are the new man, we were to put off uh, sin, things associated with the old man, and put on things that are associated with the new man in Christ. And so he focused on our work, or, sorry, Christ's work in us. And now I think he's moving into that realm of Christ's work through us. Mission. What it is Christ is going to do through his people. And so I don't think this is just sort of a a nice little added tack on. I think this is incredibly significant for us to really grasp if the gospel is real, what does that mean for our relationship with the world? Very significant. So our big idea this morning is that we are to pray to bear fruit 
in maturity and mission for Christ. Let's begin with the first part of this, which is tied to that very first command that that begins this section. Persevere in prayer to bear fruit in Christ. Paul wants us, I believe, to understand that prayer is a gospel practice. It's part of how it, what it means to, to uh, live in light of the gospel truth and understanding. It flows out of this gospel knowledge. And so if Paul would say, if he were here, I think, and he'd have been listening to me, he'd go, yes, Steve, if the gospel is real, pray. And so he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. The idea here is about there being an earnestness about prayer. There's an adhering persistently to prayer. This is not the only time he said anything like this. Uh, We see it in what we read in Ephesians chapter 6. We see it in Philippians. Uh, We see it in 1 Thessalonians 5 where it says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this is an emphasis of Paul as he speaks to the churches, and it's usually an emphasis that lies toward the end of each of his letters. Okay, He said it often precisely because this is the will of God for every church, For every Christian, we are all called to this ongoing prayer. But now, if you're like me, something happens. Okay? When I was a young Christian, someone, I I think someone recommended it. Either way, I read E.M. Bounds, The Power of Prayer. I was a new Christian. I wanted to learn about prayer. I got this book. I started to read this book. And then I read about people like Martin Luther who apparently prayed for four to five hours a day. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> How can I find four to five hours a day to pray? As if that is sort of the standard that God is calling us to. And I, I felt a lot of uh, false guilt and condemnation because I wasn't praying four to five hours a day. I don't think that's what... Paul has in mind when he says to be steadfast in prayer. Years later, I read Brother Lawrence, who had a very different sort of take on this whole steadfastness in prayer. For him, it wasn't go into your prayer closet and pray for four to five hours. And actually, that's probably how Martin Luther got so much work done, actually. I think the amount of time he spent in prayer empowered him for the incredible ministry that uh, he undertook uh, especially in the light of all the opposition that he experienced. He needed four to five hours of prayer. I probably do too, but um, <laughs> I can't seem to find it. Um, but for Brother Lawrence, it was more as you go about your day. He would, he would scrub pots. That was his job in the community life that he, he experienced. He would scrub pots, and as he's scrubbing, he's praying. Okay, it's similar to what my wife does when she cleans the floors. She's got her three-step process for cleaning the floors. And the third step in that process, yes, Sharon knows this process, is to, you know, this is what she gets from her mom. Hands and knees, scrubbing this thing. And it takes time, and I'm like, can we get on and watch TV already, you know? 
But that's when she prays. Well, one of the times in which she prays. I just outed her. I'm sorry. Okay? But she's redeeming the time. And that is, I think, how we, a better way for us to understand this call for steadfastness to prayer. It's not about finding four-hour blocks of time, but it's sort of responding through the course of your day to those moments when you see a prayer request. You take 30 seconds and you pray about it. When someone passes through your mind, you kind of go, yeah, I ought to pray for that person. And so it's just sort of a, take a few moments and pray continually throughout the day as opposed to thinking that you have to block off this humongous section while still get to Raytheon and give them your day and then still come home and give your children your time. Okay, It's praying in the midst of Raytheon, in the midst of parenting, in the midst of being with your spouse, in the midst of your commute. Very different perspective on that. We see that Paul himself continued steadfast in his prayers. Because we see in just about every letter to a church, there's a section of where he says, hey, by the way, this is what I'm praying for for you. He opens the door, so to speak, on his prayer life for that particular church. Now, let's remember, at about the same time he wrote this letter to the Colossians, he wrote the sister letter to the Ephesians, which we also have, but he also mentions a letter to the church in Laodicea, which we don't have. So that at the same time, basically, Paul is praying earnestly for at least three churches. So Paul was one who himself was, in a sense, practicing what he preached. We see that he shares these requests earlier in the letter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and essentially he's praying for them. Uh, You can go back to those sermons if you forgot what we talked about. But he's praying about strength, that they would have strength from God's infinite power, that they would have wisdom from him who is all wise, and that they would bear fruit. That's one of the key things that kind of stood in my mind as I thought about that this week, that idea of bearing fruit. Later on today, think about what Paul prayed about compared to what you tend to pray about. It's easy for us to to focus on you know, health things, job things, that kind of stuff. And those are things that should be prayed about. But there are greater things to pray about as well. Sort of the overarching picture of our lives that we sometimes neglect that we need to start to pray about. That idea of bearing fruit. And there's two ways in particular, I believe, he's talking about bearing fruit in that that prayer that he mentions in chapter 1. To bear fruit in mission, verses 5 and 6, he was so thankful that the gospel was bearing fruit, that there were people who were coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he was praying that that would continue, that the gospel would continue to bear fruit among them. But he also mentions that the gospel was bearing fruit in maturity in verse 10 in chapter 1. That not only were many coming to saving faith, but he was praying that many would come to an increasing understanding of the gospel and a practice or lifestyle shaped by the gospel. In other words, those two things are connected. 
Or at least they're supposed to be connected. As we grow in maturity, what should happen is that we also grow in mission. What often happens is the longer a Christian is in the, in the faith, the less they're engaged in mission. That, that seems to be more the case. And I think part of the reason for that is that we, we begin to um, lose those relationships outside the church. Sometimes that's a good thing because there are some people that we had relationships with and it just really, it's tied to our past sin. And there's certain relationships that have to go because of the ways in which we continue to participate in sin as a result of that particular relationship. But there are others that don't need to go. Sometimes we kind of close ranks a little too tight and we begin to lose our opportunity for mission. That's what tends to happen, unfortunately. It's not supposed to be that way. Let's note what happened in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers or prayer. The early church was committed to a number of things, and one of those things they were committed to was prayer. And so, in addition to the uh, teaching of the apostles, we see essentially they had a commitment to gospel maturity and gospel mission. We see their maturity taking place as they come to a greater understanding of what it is the gospel is intended to produce. I mean, remember, at first they're sort of like, yes, to the Jews, to the Jews, to the Jews, and then they slowly start to realize, oh yeah, that whole thing in Genesis chapter 12 about God's going to bless the nations through Abraham, that's now. The Gentiles too. We need to bring them in to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we see an expanse in the scope of their mission, but when we see a continual increase, you know, we're studying this in our community groups, and you know, my community group is behind the rest of you all. But you know, a couple times there in Antioch, it's like, and the Lord was adding to them again. Then Barnabas comes, and more and more people are being added to the church. They were, they were growing not just in their scope, bringing in the Gentiles, but they were bringing in lots of Gentiles. So we saw the church growing numerically throughout the known world, but we also saw the church growing in terms of Christian maturity and their understanding and their obedience as they worked through things like, do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? All of those sorts of issues, they began to address those issues and come to a gospel understanding of those issues and focusing on the, the real sorts of important things. So prayer, I think, was important as part of why it is the early church grew at such an amazing rate. But lest we think it's all about us, we're reminded from Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. There are times when we don't know what to pray. We know we need to pray about a particular thing, but we don't know how to pray about it. And the Spirit comes and directs us. 
The Spirit works in us also, I think, to develop this perseverance in prayer. Paul continues. In addition to continue steadfastly, he says, being watchful. And this brings up this imagery of the guard duty, the guy, the watchman. You know, he's making sure that there's no threat coming, that all is safe. He's not asleep on the job. He's paying attention as he's supposed to. He's remaining alert. Jesus uses this very same word in Mark 14 when he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so there it's sort of that, that sanctification issue. Okay? And again, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And so we're to keep our eyes open, first off, for obstacles that we're going to face, temptations uh, that will rise up against us, the places where we need God's grace to stand firm and to resist temptation. Remember what was the first part of that passage that Jerry read from Ephesians? (coughs) Spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. It's about the temptation to sin. It's about the, the attempts of the evil one to steal from us the joy of our salvation by having us live in false guilt and condemnation when Christ has removed it. And so at the end of that, with all of the rest of those participles about you know having the shield of, uh, and bearing the breastplate, it's connected to it, being prayerful. The prayer is meant to be part of how we engage in that conflict against sin in our lives and against Satan's influence in our lives. I was struck by Paul Miller's vulnerability and transparency in the book, The Praying Life, when we read that in our community groups. He says that before any large group gathering, he prays that his heart would not be captive by lust. Because he recognizes that there are going to be lots of attractive women in a particular place. And so he recognizes that his own weakness and failing, and so he stands watch that God would guard him in his heart, that he would not sin. So that's an example of what it means for us to keep our eyes watchful with regard uh, in that region, that part of our lives. So prayer is necessary for our maturity in Christ that we might bear fruit in godliness, but we're also to keep our eyes open for opportunities to share God's grace, to share His mercy with people, to evangelize. It all starts with prayer. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But since the gospel is real, we are to pray often to bear fruit to glorify Christ. Secondly, gratitude. He's talked a lot about gratitude in this letter. Gratitude grounds prayer in grace received. How we pray is nearly as important as whether or not we pray. He says that they are to do this with thanksgiving. And again, that is a common refrain. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5. We see it in Philippians chapter 4. That prayer was to be done with thanksgiving. 
In other words, we probably ought to get the, get the, the gist of it as prayer probably doesn't really exist apart from thanksgiving. John Calvin says that to call upon God is the chief exercise of faith and hope. It is in this way that we obtain from God every blessing. So in a sense, kind of connecting that statement from Calvin with what Paul is saying here with thanksgiving, we approach him afresh in light of the fact that he has granted us every blessing thus far. In light of the many blessings we have received from him already. And so prayer is meant to be this expression of our faith, of our hope, and our thanksgiving because we are in Christ as opposed to fear and unbelief. In other words, if we are afraid or that we think that God won't bless us, we're not going to pray. If we think either he's too stingy and will refuse to bless us, we're living in unbelief and we're not going to pray. We could also not pray if we think he won't hear us because we see our sin and guilt and we forget about his mercies in Jesus Christ and that it is because of Christ that we're welcome to pray. If we think that our prayers are heard because of our own righteousness, our own goodness, our own obedience on that day, then most days we probably won't go. But our access, as it says in Ephesians 2, is because of Christ, not us. And so we don't have to live in fear or despair, doubt, unbelief. But knowing the good news that we are accepted by God in Christ because of His righteousness, we're free to go. And we go with joy, despite our failings, because He has already displayed the greatness and kindness of His heart, because He is rich in mercy, according to the Scriptures. And so when we go to, in, with him in, to him in prayer, it's in a sense we're confessing of his generosity towards us, the abundance of his grace, the sufficiency of his love and his work for us. And so we come with gratitude because it's not about how good we are. In Deuteronomy 4, there's this Kind of odd phrase, this sentence in chapter, uh, verse 7 of chapter 4. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? He hasn't changed, beloved. When we call upon him in the name of Christ, he is still near to us. He still comes as a kindly disposed father toward his children, seeking to bless them as much as he may. He's still 
there. He's still that Father. And so we are to be grateful for God's ongoing care, His ongoing provision, His ongoing protection. We're doing a new song this morning. 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord. And the point of that song is that essentially there's more than 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. And what those verses do in that song is they, they bring us back to his character. And we see abundant reasons to bless the Lord because of his character. But it also talks about the earthly blessings that we receive. And so there are more reasons for us to bless the Lord. But also in the, the last verse, it's the future hope that we have. That too adds more reasons for us to bless the Lord. All of that gets wrapped up in this idea of gratitude that moves us toward Him in prayer. And a lot of times, essentially, if we're not going, it's because we're not grateful. We've either fallen into, I deserve better, or there's no way in the world God could be kind to me today. We tend to think about prayer as a duty rather than a gift grace that brings us even more grace. It's a gift that he gives us. Unlimited access to the king. Try to go see the president tomorrow. Think you'll get in? No. Unless you've got an inside man, you're not going to go see the president tomorrow. Access is blocked. Our access to God the Father, if we are in Jesus Christ by faith, is never blocked. We are always welcome in the Father's house. Prayer connects us with Christ, who himself, as John Calvin says, is the fountain of all grace that is poured upon us. Further, he says in his institutes, so true it is that we dig up by prayer the treasures that were pointed out by the Lord's gospel in which our faith has gazed upon. And so faith is... Uh, prayer is partially by faith, rehearsing the blessings, the promises of the gospel, coming to a greater understanding and seeking the application of them to us. And so in a sense, the prayer, prayer is the new man in Christ communicating with his heavenly Father. And so this attitude of gratitude is grounded or rest upon the grace we have received in Jesus Christ. Third thing. Gospel proclamation proceeds through prayer. Paul and Timothy, because there's a pray for us, it's not pray for me, pray for us, Paul and Timothy, seek their prayers just as they had prayed for the Colossians. There's a reminder here. Pastors, Elders, church planters, 
desperately need your prayers. Missionaries and deacons from the front row desperately need your prayers in numerous ways. And part of that, of course, is because of the temptations they will experience, but also that they might fulfill the mission that has been entrusted to the church. Let's think about this for a moment. Paul says that he is in chains. He's in prison. And the reason he's in prison is for proclaiming the gospel. He wasn't doing it when he, sh- when he was initially, you know, the riot broke out in Jerusalem. But they were mad at him because he had proclaimed the gospel to Gentiles. And so he gets carted off into prison so that the Jews don't kill him there in Jerusalem. And in prison he remained for many years. What's interesting here is that Paul isn't asking to be freed of his chains. If you stick me in prison, what am I going to pray for? Jesus, get me out of here. That's not Paul. He's not praying for that. He, He mentions that a little bit in Philippians, but in this particular context, he's not mentioning that. Instead... He says, pray for that God would open to us a door for the word. He wants opportunities to tell other people about what God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. One of the things about Philippians that's profound is that he's claiming that the chains have not hindered the gospel but actually advanced the gospel. From chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Interesting. Paul is saying it's, it's, because it's clear by those who imprison me why I'm here, and he has opportunities to share with them why he's there. And so the mission is pressing forward by Paul himself, as he's imprisoned, but it also has emboldened the brothers outside because they're seeing a a Paul who is not destroyed but continues to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're encouraged to continue their own gospel proclamation in the city of Rome where Paul was most likely imprisoned. And so the gospel was breaking forth within the prison and outside of the prison. It was advancing Perhaps one reason that we aren't sharing our faith more is that we aren't praying for open doors. We're not praying that we might recognize opportunities, that we might be presented with opportunities. Perhaps because we feel incompetent. I'm not sure. But I'll know this, that that prayer has to happen if the mission is going to happen. 
prayer is one of the appointed means. And so we must regularly pray about evangelism in missions. We have an opportunity tonight. We're going to focus on that tonight. That is to be a regular part of our life as a body, praying for these things together and individually. And so he says, pray that there be a, that God would open to us a door for the word and that we would declare the mystery of Christ. His focus is on what Christ has, that God has done for us in Christ. So we think of this mission that started way back when. Actually, it started before Abraham. But one of the key things is Abraham, chapter 20, when he's given this promise that he'll get a great name, he'll become a great nation, um, but also that idea that he'll be a great blessing to the nations. We see that kind of taking shape again in Genesis 18, in verse 19, um, the reflection from Christopher Wright connects this thing, but he says, God says um, to himself, <laughs> when, he's, when uh, he's getting ready to share with Abraham what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, For I have chosen him, election, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Maturity. <laughs> Okay, So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him, not just the land, but also the blessing to the nations. Israel was always supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Mission. Maturity and mission together there. We see this in Galatians 3 where it talks about how those who, are, who believe in Christ are sons of Abraham. We've received the promise, but now we're also supposed to share the promise with others. In Christ, Jew and Gentile both are sons of Abraham. We have been blessed Let's make that blessing known to the nations. Third thing he says there, so that he might make it clear. Clarity. Sometimes we suffer from a very profound lack of clarity. And I can, I can understand that because the gospel, as Paul says, is offensive. The message of the cross is offensive to those who are perishing. And so all the more reason we need to be clear so that we know that the, the offense is where it belongs. The gospel. This cross that tells us we're sinners and need des- desperately need God's help. And to speak it clearly requires courage and it requires boldness. And so we see that in a lot of the other requests he has of prayer for, for the mission for boldness. So we see that particularly in Ephesians chapter 6, where we see he says this. I'll, I'll repeat it because it might not be fresh in your memory from when Jerry read it. To that end, keep alert, or keep watch, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, 
in opening my mouth boldly. So not just that he would say any old thing, but the words would be given to him by God so that he may open his mouth boldly to proclaim again the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so we have to be bold about the truth. Even though sometimes that truth will be met with resistance. And it's not just about the gospel, sometimes it's about the implications of the gospel. There are things that right now are are politically correct culture, and the thought police are finding very intolerant of us, and therefore they're intolerant of, and it will cause us to shrink back in fear unless we're praying, so that we have boldness to declare the message of the Scriptures in a gracious way, as we're going to talk about next week. So Paul here in this section is not resting in his own abilities. He's not resting in his own courage. In other words, Paul is not a super-Christian. Paul is not a a Navy SEAL kind of Christian. He's not a Delta Force kind of Christian. We look at him as elite Man, he's an apostle, capital A. He's the man. But he says, I am weak and needy. I need your prayers. So much more do we need each other's prayers. So much more, I, I ain't Paul, man. I need your prayers. To fulfill, to faithfully discharge my mission. And for you to discharge your mission. And so that's why John Piper um, writes in one of his books that that prayer is not the intercom where you talk to the servant. Prayer is the walkie-talkie where you call headquarters and ask for reinforcements and supplies. That idea of you're on the front line and it's hard and heavy and you need help and God graciously gives you access to headquarters for help. So prayer is essential to our fulfilling, the filling of our mission. And as Grace had said, there will be opposition. As Paul said in Ephesians 6, there will be opposition. So prayer isn't just something that we do. Prayer actually is a vital part of gospel practice that enables us to grow both in maturity and in mission. And too often we can stagnate in either or both because we aren't making use of this gospel means of grace. We begin to be filled with fear, anxiety, despair, distraction, And so keeping the truth of what Christ has done for us cultivates the gratitude that eases us into prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have opened the door that we may come in, not just to experience salvation, but also to have access to you to speak to you, to lay our hearts before you, to call out for the things that we desperately need, but also to listen, so to speak, to remember the the call you have placed upon us in this world, And and to seek you where to fulfill that, how to fulfill that, seek from you the grace we need to fulfill that. So I ask that your spirit would be at work to make us people of prayer. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.